Hey, Truman, would you do me a favor? Would you grab a bottle of water over there? <clears throat> yeah, if you want to run that up to me, that'd be great. Thank you. Don't run like Brian Bragg. <laughs> Appreciate it. Hey, some of you may not know, but uh, Truman is a freshman. He's a freshman in high school, and he just uh, recently was competing at the state championship for wrestlers. And uh, as a freshman, he placed sixth in the state of Oregon. This, this young man's got a great coach, great dad, and uh, I'll tell you what, this, this young man is disciplined. It's, it's cool to watch him wrestle. By the way, I've watched your, your wrestling, so it's awesome stuff. So anyway, let's give it up once again for our state champions. All right. Well, a couple of announcements. Actually, just one. I have several announcements afterwards about cleaning up camp so we can, we can go. This is not the last amen. Um, we're having a great uh, lesson brought tonight. And actually, it's the passage of scripture I wanted to preach, but I gave it to, to Kirk to finish up because it's really the, the, the veil that's going to put the old man in the coffin so the new man can live hopeful every moment of his life. And so I'm excited about Kurt bringing that lesson. And so I promise not to steal any of your message, although I was tempted, <laughs> but I will not. So uh, anyway, tonight, by the way, uh, at the building, the Pleasant Hill Church of Christ building at 630, uh, we will begin our, our evening assembly. So you can come on out. That'd be great to have you. If you got to go, I understand that. People got to get back to work and get ready to go. But uh, uh, this is definitely going to be an awesome, awesome lesson. So. All right. Any other announcements that I need to make about what's happening today? We'll talk about cleaning passwords. All right. What, brother? Yeah. You did such a nice job of introducing everybody. <laughs> you know, as I, as I stated in, in my message, you know, last night, you think about, you know, the leap of faith, really the leap of faith that he took to leave the school and go full-time preaching, you know, Pleasant Hill, you know, and... Without this man, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have an amazing wife and, and three great kids, you know, and have changed into the man that I am, you know, through Jesus. Um, it's, it's through this man. And, it, you know, talking with others from out of the state, like there's just a different feel at this camp. And it has a lot to do, obviously, with Jesus. But with this guy, you know, he encourages so many men and women, you know, especially the men that step up and teach. Like some guys... You know, they probably wouldn't want to or, or have the desire to, but he encourages so much, right? He, he wants others to be better than himself, you know, and, but, he's, but he's always a leader that we look to. So um, anyway, I love this man so much, um, and I'm excited to hear his message as you probably are too. So let's give it up for Mr. Bill Collins. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John in chapter 3, and it's always fun to quote this Bible verse when I'm working with people who are of a different mindset than so many of us, if not all of us here. In 1 John in chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. 
For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. Now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, because we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray. Lord, we're so deeply thankful for these great words of encouragement. And I'm thankful, Father, that Kirk did an amazing job yesterday, powerful job in describing how we are able to purify ourselves just as you are pure. Desiring to please you in every respect, not out of law, not out of a, a fear of punishment, but out of love and desire to please you in every way as a bride would desire to please her husband. Father, I pray though this morning that we would recognize that there are forces working even in the church, even in our minds sometimes, that try to steal that truth, that we are now children of God, filled with the Spirit, empowered by your Son, Jesus Christ, as we read the Word and yield ourselves to obedience. Father, I would ask then this morning that we would examine ourselves to make sure that we have not been deceived by others or by thoughts of the old man that has been crucified and buried. Father, I ask this in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Now, to be honest, you cannot, you cannot be pure as he is pure. It's impossible. You can't. Unless you're a child of God. And then you absolutely can. In fact, it says, you cannot sin if you've been born of God. The context, I love those three verses, but we miss the context. We need to read the context. The context is, absolutely, a son or daughter of God can purify themselves just as he is pure right now. And it begins by the old man is crucified with Christ in the waters of immersion and is born again, raised up to walk in the newness of life. That new life is power through the Holy Spirit as, as has been communicated. But I have to share with you in these three quick points. Oh, by the way, would you start timing me in at 10 minutes, eight minutes from whenever we're supposed to be done in 45? Just say eight minutes. Gotcha. Thanks, brother. The first thing I want to say is, is that have we been deceived? There are times when I make statements in my life and I stop and I go, wait a minute. What did I just say to myself? That is absolutely wrong. Because as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And if you still have some of that stinking thinking left inside of there, you will believe incorrectly, be deceived by self, that you are not able. I've seen it. 
The second point is the power of hope, the power of true biblical hope will cause us to desire like no other thing to be a pure and holy and blameless bride. It's relational, not regulational. The relationship that we have with Christ should drive us to purity because we hope with a confident expectation because he promised we will stand before him. And that's why we want to be holy and blameless. And then the third point is perfect practice makes perfect and permanent if you understand the process. So let's jump right in. Do you know the truth or have you been deceived? I know people in Christ's church that their tongue reveals that they still don't fully grasp what it means that we are able to purify ourselves just as he is pure. And in fact, once we come up out of the water, we are pure as he is pure. And we can maintain that. And many believe that that's not possible. And our words reveal that. And our, and our words in our mind reveal that. So I want you to test yourself to see if you are in the faith of Christ. Christ knew, having been raised up from birth through the word of God consistently, he knew who he was by the time he was how old? 12 years old. He knew what he, who he was and he knew what he needed to do. And then throughout his life in that ministry, it was very clear. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And he lived his life faithfully according to the word of God. He practiced, 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 and, and lived faithful. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. It's a little bit before chapter 3, obviously. Take a look here in verse 15. Many use this in a way, but it's, they take it out of context, sadly. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Brethren, really quickly, please understand that if your eyes are on the world, you cannot enjoy and experience the power of hope. Because there's nothing in this world that you can put your hope in. Nothing. Only Jesus Christ. Everything else will fail you. Did you know that I have the most lovely, beautiful, awesome woman in the whole world? I got the best woman. Sorry, guys. But did you know that when we pass from this life into the next, we will not be married in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. What a beautiful, awesome blessing and gift my wife is. But I must understand that my hope is not in her. The blessings are overflowing because of my wife. But I have to understand I can't put my hope in her. My hope has to be built on something greater so that I can be the husband that she needs and she can be the wife that I need. Amen? So it's important for us to understand even the most awesome and most important and valuable thing in this life is that the relationship that we might have with a husband or a wife or our children, even that, in the end, when we stand before King Jesus, 
will not be apart. We'll all be glorified just as he is glorified. Can we love and enjoy and, and use these wonderful, beautiful relationships to powerfully reach out to others so that they might be saved? The answer is what? Yes, absolutely. And so it's important for us then to understand that we can be deceived by the world. But look at verse 18. It gets, it gets a little worse. It's like there is a diabolical plan right now in the world to keep you from the power of hope. Look at verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that they would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22 and 23 have boldly... Uh, Highlighted, It says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, which is the great message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, the death, burial, and resurrection, and subsequent life eternal abides in you, it says here, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to talk about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the one who says that Jesus is not the Christ or cannot confess him. But what's worse is this. How many have ever seen kids, even adults, Baptized in churches of Christ where the preacher says, Hey, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Hurry up, kid. We only got a few moments left. Yes. Well, good. Do they know what that means? If you don't know what it means that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you don't know it, it's as if you didn't believe it. You have to believe what does that mean. What you win people with is what you win them to. We must win them to... The five steps of salvation. No. 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 We must win them to Christ. The prophet. The high priest and the king. Who holds his place for eternity. And because of that, he has secured your salvation eternally. You know, there are other churches that talk about, you know, eternal security. Meaning, he chose you and he didn't choose you. So you hope he, you're the one that he chose, so you have eternal security. That's messed up. Your salvation is in Christ. Abide in him and you have eternal life. You are absolutely secure. But what if you don't know who Christ is? What if you don't believe that his sacrifice was once for all sins, for all time. Are you confessing the Christ then in your words and actions? You see, the confession has to be more than just, yep. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God? Yep. It has to be more than that. 
It has to be your life, and it has to be your confession. Now, as we move on, turn with me to the first John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, the first few verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, literally has not come from, uh, has not come in the flesh. Go back and look at 2 John and 3 John. This spirit is the Antichrist of which we have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. Brethren, the Antichrist is in the world right now. The Antichrist, as we just heard, believes that Jesus did not, Jesus did not come in the flesh. Did you know the Gnostics said the only way that Jesus could have lived a holy and blameless life is that if he wasn't in the flesh. What they saw was not flesh and blood. That's what Gnostics would say. And the Gnostics were in the world at that time. They were teaching that Jesus could not have come in the flesh because he lived a holy and blameless life. Gnostic believes that anything of the material world is sinful. That's what Gnostics believe. They believe that Jesus had some extra about him. Now, we need to understand something about that Gnostic Antichrist philosophy. He did walk in the flesh. Scriptures are clear. He partook in flesh and blood just like you and I. Romans chapter 8 says, and he did what? In the likeness of sinful flesh. He came. What does that mean? In the likeness of sinful flesh. He could have sinned. He could have sinned. If he couldn't have sinned, then he could not understand. He could not sympathize with our weaknesses if he could never sin. It would be a walk in the park. That's not what it was. Go back and do a careful study. Jesus had to grow Physically, cognitively, morally, he had to grow just like you and I. He had no advantages except for one. At the moment of conception, he was the Son of God. The moment before conception, he was the Son of God, which meant that he had the Spirit present within his physical body. God with us. But he had to grow in faith. If Jesus had any advantage, and he did, that was he had the Holy Spirit at the moment of conception. But he still had to grow cognitively, physically, and morally in his mind, and he had to discipline his body and make it his slave, that it would do the will of God and not the will of Jesus. Did Jesus have his own will? What's the answer? Absolutely, positively. But he disciplined himself using the word of God as that standard. And by the time he was 12 years old, he understood who he was. I am the son of God. And the son of God is called in the Old Testament to live a holy and blameless life that he might be the sin bearer. And remember how many times he told his apostles, we need to go up to Jerusalem, gentlemen, and there I will be scourged and beaten by the hands of godless men, and I'll be crucified. But then on the third day, I'll be raised again. Didn't he tell him that over and over and over again? 
Even at the beginning of his ministry, he shared that with them. He knew. And he knew that before he started his ministry. Before he went down and was immersed by John the Baptist. Brethren, he came in the flesh. Now here's something that we oftentimes hear. In Christian churches, churches of Christ, that have not come to a, a, a greater understanding that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit makes us a new creation, a son or daughter in God. I've been in Christian churches and churches of Christ where the preachers have actually said this. I won't name any, but oftentimes I was driving back and forth from Montana to see my dad on my way back home. It was on a Sunday and mocked with my hair on fire. Oh, there's a Christian church. I'll just stop in there and, and uh, have the Lord's Supper, break bread with the saints. And the preacher gets up and says, well, you know, we're all a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And I'm so thankful for the blessing of Jesus' life. Well, that's great, but notice what you were just told you were and what you believe. You're saying... Ten minutes. Ten minutes. All right. Ten minutes. We're not going to get done with this. We'll just finish up here, and i got two more points that I'll preach some other time. We just need to know and recognize and understand that when we say in our heads... I, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. Have you ever said that in your head? As a Christian? I can't do that. Have you said this in your mind as a Christian? I'm just... I just don't get it. Everything, everything you need for life and godliness is found in the true knowledge of his work. Everything you need for life and godliness is found here. Now, the power of hope to purify. What's your standard for your mindset? Do you immerse yourself in the word? Turn with me to the book of John in chapter 8. John in chapter 8. I have to tell you, Steve, I hate being on the receiving end of my own, my own, yeah, it's terrible. Just saying. John chapter 8. So for those men who I called out 10 minutes, please forgive me. It's painful. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. I write this in all the Bibles when I give somebody a Bible when I find that they really are committed to Bible study and they really want to know the Word, I'll buy them a Bible. And I always write this in their Bible. It goes something like this. So Jesus was saying to those who had believed in Him, if you continue in my Word, if you continue in my Word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know what? This has got to be the standard. If you're not investing yourself in a daily study, not daily reading, a daily study, a meditative study, and I've been asked to preach at the Badlands camp, and uh, the first time that Kirk asked me to go preach at Badlands, he gave me the toughest passage, the toughest topic. 
And he goes, hey, you want to come preach again? And I go, not if I get a topic like last time. <laughs> so he says, can we talk at, at Oregon camp? I want to let you know what you're studying. I go, oh, great. <laughs> but he gave me my favorite topic, and that is that when you abide in the word of God, when you abide in the word of God, and the word of God abides in you, you won't say, I can't. You'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be unceasing in my prayer life. I can manifest his character, which is the truth every time. So let's jump ahead about 30 or 40 minutes from, from where we are to where I needed to be. Okay, Perfect practice makes perfect. I'll close with this. Turn your Bibles to finish up the other context of 1 John chapter 3. The other context of 1 John and chapter 3. Verse 4 and following. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, and in him... And in him, there's no sin. Are you in him? Do you really believe that? Okay, it gets better. And in him, there, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. It's possible. Right now, you're abiding in him. But there's a part that is going to be added just a moment. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. You're saying, man, I'm in trouble. That's the wrong statement. Don't make that statement. That's a lie. Take a look. Little children, make sure no one deceives you like those antichrists are doing even now. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. You know why the Son of Man appeared? He appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed, I believe, speaking of Christ in you, the hope, confident expectation that we can manifest glory right now, his magnificent character, as Jeff was preaching, because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Brethren, you might be saying, that can't be true. I was accused of being a Wesleyan. You know what a Wesleyan is? How many know what a Wesleyan is? What's a Wesleyan? Yep. That means that they, they first become... Uh, a Wesleyan, but then they have a second grace where they break through, right? Second grace. And it's usually up at the altar. That's why they had all those pray altars. So you could break through. And breaking through meant that you get a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it was impossible for you to sin in the flesh. Well, that's not even like Jesus because he could have still, still sinned in the flesh until his last breath. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about if you're born of God, you can not sin. 
You can not think that thought. You can not say that word. You can stop doing that. But more importantly, you can say what Jesus would say. You can do what Jesus would do. You can respond as Jesus responded. And when you think you can't do that, then who's whispering in your ear? When you hear someone say that, or if you say that in your head, that's not of God. Notice he says, I write these things to you, little children, so that you may not sin. But, it, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has done what? Who's cleansed us of all of our sins as our propitiation. And not only ours, but of the whole world. It's possible not to sin. It's possible to live a righteous, holy, perfect, blameless life. It's every thought which produces every word and every deed. That's why we're called to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yielded, as we are told by our brother Brian, yielded Christ and his will. Amen? All right. It's not even 12 o'clock yet. Well, I just finished. <laughs> First prayer, yeah. All right, there we go. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and then I'll give some marching orders. Uh, in regards to after lunch, okay? Holy God in heaven, I would ask, Father, that uh, there would be a very deep and abiding meditative time each day in reading the word. And as I was inspired by my brother, Dennis Nagy, that there would be a deep and abiding time of presence with you in prayer. The great message this morning by Andrew Souter as well. We cannot, we cannot fight the good fight of faith without getting the directions from our commander, King Jesus. Lord, I would ask in your son's name, Jesus, I pray in the name of your son's name, Jesus, that those here who have not been doing a meditative study of God's word would realize that the days are very short. Never in the history of man has there been a worldwide movement of evil so well orchestrated. We need to recognize that, and we need now to be those who are the great army of God, as our brother Steve said. We'd rise up, and we'd walk in the power that you've given to us as not a dream team, but the dream of reality that God is making us through his Spirit. And Father, I would ask in your son's name, Jesus, that we would do, be done with lesser things. The things I see and hear as many of us, Father, have seen and heard, help us to realize that this is the time when we need to become more serious, more intentional, more focused on your returning soon. That we would not only purify ourselves as he is pure, but we repent and clothe ourselves in practicing righteousness moment by moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.